Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Brian shares his winding path while attending Berkeley in his first few years out of school, from landing a VC internship his sophomore year to a junior year internship in the cross-border M&A group of J.P. Morgan in Hong Kong, to a jump to strategy consulting full-time, learn some of his secrets to success during recruiting, as well as why he decided to join Google as an associate product manager. Enjoy. Okay, Brian, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. It's great to be here. So I'd love to just uh, give uh, the listeners a short summary of your bio. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm currently at Google, uh, where I'm a PM. I'm, it's actually an interesting mix between PM and strategy and ops. So kind of straddling a bit between the product organization and then strategy and operations. A bit of that is because uh, before Google, I spent my time at Accenture as a strategy consultant. Uh, and then before that, worked in Hong Kong as a tech investment banker. So I've kind of ping-ponged around different roles, made my way into big tech where I am right now, but super, super excited to sit down and chat with you and help some of the folks on the pod and on YouTube and whoever's tuning in to learn a bit more about my journey and hopefully how that could help them. Awesome. Yeah, let's start at undergrad. So you were at Berkeley, right? That's correct. Did you, you know, you're in the school of business. Did you always know that you wanted to be a business major? When did that kind of come up? Yeah, I get this question a lot. Uh, and what's funny enough is when I entered Cal, I was an intended political science major. Um, I interned previously with the mayor of San Francisco, did a lot of work uh, with community groups, uh, local senators, state senators. Uh, soon realizing, uh, taking my first couple of poli-sci classes, that this was not for me. Uh, we could get into the money later, but uh, I was more interested in actually problem-solving neat, challenging problems that could make the world a better place um, and figured that poli-sci probably wasn't the best place to do that. Uh, kept that in as a double major in public policy, but after meeting some friends and new mentors in the business space, specifically in consulting clubs and business frats, um, they very persuasively convinced me that there was a future <laughs> business, specifically in investment banking and consulting. And to be perfectly frank, um, it's not like those spaces aren't full of social impact. Plenty of people in those spaces do plenty of fantastic work. Um, but yeah, really quickly dug myself into that rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, originally poli-sci, but quickly got wrapped up in the business world. So like by fresh, end of freshman year, would you say that you were like, okay, I'm going to go be a strategy consultant? Or Really <laughs> drank the Kool-Aid. Um, because I you, think started, you said you did banking in, in Hong Kong? I did. Yes. Right. Is that, was that right out of school? Cause I'm looking at your LinkedIn. It was. Yeah. Okay. So was it, was banking on the radar? Like was banking the first thing that kind of was like, Oh, this yeah. is go. Um, one thing for anybody 
listening to this, if you're from Berkeley, then you definitely know what I'm talking about. Uh, but if you're not, and I would imagine this is the case for, for many, for many competitive schools mm-hmm. is you have a lot of bright, talented kids cooped up in one corner of the world and a very limited supply of what people deign as prestigious opportunities or like career building opportunities. Right. And so everybody and their mom is trying to rush to the best spots. And so you have these student clubs, consulting clubs, business frats, really congregate and cluster around investment banking, consulting, now more recently product and product management. Uh, And so because of this, um, when you get so caught up in the zeitgeist and kind of the fervor of trying to land a prestigious internship, landing a prestigious career, really getting your job, you know, off the feet. Uh, yeah, I mean, for the, for the most part, uh, I kind of got sucked into investment banking first. It was always really ping-ponging between either investment banking and consulting. Yeah. So I figured because investment banking's uh, recruiting was accelerated, it was probably the best bet to start with that first. Yeah. And if that didn't work out, move into consulting. But I uh, did get an offer with JP Morgan, did decide to take the risk averse option and take that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's how it, about like about the timing of, you, you know, you said it was accelerated recruiting. This is, you know, this typical front office kind of banking or what is a specific division? And, you know, was this end of freshman year or like soft, early sophomore? For, this for- was junior summer. So this was in their cross borders tech MA practice in Hong Kong. Okay, cool. So you were you were interviewing for this when, like, in sophomore, sophomore, sophomore. This is like sophomore spring. Yeah, sophomore. You spring. come back in. Tell me a little bit about, like, you know, everyone's like running around, like resume drops. Like, what's oh, no, exactly. And I think looking looking back now, it was so ridiculous how much um, I cared about this and how much so many people cared about this because I'm not even doing this anymore. I'm doing something what what people would call wildly different. Yeah. Um, I don't regret my time. I think I learned so many things, met so many awesome people. Um, but I think especially for college students listening to this, uh, we consider internships the end-all be-all. And we kind of pen ourselves into thinking, I have to land this awesome internship, land the conversion, and then from there, do my two, three years lateral into private equity or a VC or what have you, or maybe even stick stick around and see what happens. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people think that this is the way and that there is no other way except kind of this one path. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, you know, as we kind of go through my winding experiences, ping-ponging between different roles, I hope people can understand that I think, number one, I don't regret a single thing I did. I loved each and every single one of my experiences, the good and the bad, what I loved doing, what I, what I didn't like doing. And I hope people can recognize that there are so many paths to meeting awesome people, making good money, and solving genuinely awesome but also challenging problems, um, yeah. and it doesn't require a specific skill set per se, or a specific pedigree, background, or even blue chip label on your resume. Right. No, yeah, that. for sure. I mean, you see that from all the talks I've had with people from various walks of life, and we have people who didn't even graduate high school, other ones who are homeless actually make it. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, people, you know, if they if they're driven enough. So, but you're coming out of freshman year, you're kind of going to the summer freshman year, you're thinking, okay, banking's for, you know, I want to do banking. So were you starting like that whole summer? What were you doing? Like freshman summer, were you networking? What were you, what was the the goal kind of coming up knowing that there were resume drops soon coming? In yeah. <laughs> so uh, like, what does that even look like? Like, give me like, give the listeners like stats. If you have any, if you remember like, Hey, I reached out to 200 people or Hey, I didn't do any of it. And I just, yeah. you know, kept my GPA high and whatever. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I think my freshman year, I interned in San Francisco. I snagged an internship with Wells Fargo um, in corporate banking. So not quite investment banking, but uh, the advice I got was, oh, like do something as close as possible to investment banking. So at Berkeley, for instance, yeah. there are a number of folks who snag internships with like other banks, some boutique PE funds. Um, that traditionally was the way. I'm actually noticing now a lot of students have more like, I would say alternative internships. And I think banks are picking up uh, and realizing that honestly, like you don't need folks with direct finance ex- expertise or experience. Yeah. If anything, I think banks are diversifying their candidate pools, which I think is a, a step in the right direction. Yeah. I um, mean, looking beyond like business and STEM, but also to like the humanities um, and to other areas, especially for like non-target schools, especially. Yeah. Um, Tell me about those alternative internships you mentioned, like any in, in mind that come to mind, like in terms of what you've seen. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, Berkeley is very tech focused. And what I've seen a lot is students interning at like YC back startups. So like very early stage startups. Yeah. Hungry for new talent. They probably learn a lot more there than the Wells Fargo. <laughs> you also get paid a lot less, but that doesn't matter because you're being paid an experience. Am I yes. right? Um, but uh, I, I've seen a lot of like students like reach out to like YC startups. I actually know that YC has, um, they actually have a great site where it's like you would actually search for jobs and even internships for YC-backed companies. And you can filter by vertical. Really you can cool. filter by placement into YC, into the into the tracks, et cetera. Um, I know a lot of schools have very robust like VC scenes. So Berkeley has Berkeley Skydeck, um, Haas Incubator, Haas Accelerator, Free Ventures. A lot of their portfolio startups and companies also have internships. So yeah, at your awesome. university has something similar to that. Also a great way. And I think this is these are great because like, like you mentioned, Patrick, you, you learn a lot when you're put up uh, in a startup and you have to be a jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, you learn a lot of technical skills, but also like grit, stamina, endurance, all things that banks value. Yeah. Um, but especially if you're applying to, let's say like, like a, in tech or like TMT um, at a bulge bracket or a boutique, yeah. right? Having like operator experience, having experience like with boots on the ground in the trenches with the startups uh, is very valuable. And having that operator expertise, I would say is a pretty big plus. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, you know, I've seen like, I've seen a lot of folks like do classes their their summer freshman into sophomore year, and they still land uh, banking gigs for internships and for full time roles. Um, so I would really say it's not just about an internship; it's about fully applying yourself. So make sure that this summer you are doing something, yeah. uh, whether that's at an internship, taking summer classes, or networking. Um, to your point, I chatted with I think two hundred people over LinkedIn that summer. So it was a lot. It was a lot of coffee chats, virtual. Um, how many, like how many messages you send? I assume they didn't get a hundred percent hit rate, right? But maybe like a 20% hit rate. And it was like a, it was like a 5% hit rate. It was, it was something atrocious, but um, to get on the phone, you mean from, from yeah. message to get on the phone. Yeah. That's about right. That's yeah. actually not bad. <laughs> no, I, I was actually pretty proud of myself. And the way, the way I tell a lot of folks who coffee chat me is it, it really is a numbers game. You yeah. reach out to as many folks as possible. Start with the alumni because you have the closest connection to them and yeah. then work your way um kind of up the pipeline yeah but you know for every 100 people you meet maybe like 10 get back to you maybe five and of those five of those 10 like maybe half uh is just a bust and you don't really resonate with them but then of that half uh i found friends for a lifetime mentors coaches people who are still in the field uh and i am not but i still look up to for guidance and for support yeah Um, awesome so you you kind of like 
you did work pretty hard that summer, you know, you're doing Wells Fargo corporate banking, you're networking pretty heavily, getting on phone calls every week or several every week, it sounds like. Um, as you're kind of going into sophomore year and you finish up that internship, are you thinking to yourself, like, I got this in the bag? Are you nervous because it's super competitive at Berkeley? What's your, what's your thought process? Were, were you like me where you were like uh, overly confident and shouldn't have been? <laughs> It's interesting because I think there are times when I definitely did lean a bit too much um, and was a bit too overconfident. But I think to be perfectly candid, um, my my principles always has always been like you can never be too prepared. Yeah. Um, this could be good. This could also be bad. Um, but I think in addition to recruiting for investment banking, there are also other concerns on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Berkeley, for instance, you're not automatically in the business school yet to actually apply. So. If sophomore spring was the hurdle for investment banking recruiting, sophomore fall was the hurdle to actually get into the school of business. Oh, wow. uh, and for a lot of us, we consider this kind of the holy grail, kind of the big push to, towards securing investment banking offers. Full disclosure, there's an equal amount of kids uh, in Haas that get investment banking offers as like anywhere else at Berkeley. Yeah. There's like engineering kids. So why is it such on, a big push? Honestly. Does it just, does it increase your odds or something like that? I mean, you would think so, but honestly, like if you look at the numbers um, and my friends and I did, we actually like looked at like the incoming class um, across like the bulge brackets and even across like boutiques like Moelle's, Perla Weinberg uh, coming in from, from Berkeley, from Haas, from Econ, from other schools. Yeah. And it's pretty much like evenly split. There might be a slight bias to Haas because a lot of these bankers do come from Haas, but honestly, over the years, yeah, pretty pretty equal split. And I think it's the way Haas brands itself is very similar to the way like investment banks or MBB or Google brands itself. Yeah, it's, just, it like, it's not game over if you don't get into Haas. Basically. Exactly. But if that's the TLDR, essentially, yes. Got it. Okay. So you're basically um, getting through that hurdle, then this, the, you, you get in, right? So you're like, okay, check mark. And then as recruiting is approaching, how many resume drops do you do? And then how many interviews does that convert to? Oh, I think like every, like, is there all the like above? 30, 30 resume drops? I think it's like, yeah, around 30. Okay. Um, and then of, of like, of callbacks, let me try to, let me try to remember. This feels like ages ago. Um, it's not that long ago. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a couple years ago. Let's see. JP Morgan, of course, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, Goldman. Um, this is for first, round, first rounds? For first rounds. So it was like five. Yeah. And so out of those first rounds, how many did you make to Super Days? J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. Okay, so you made it two Super Days. So good, you converted about 40%. And then they fly you, or did, was it out here on West Coast or did you go East Coast? I got flown over to New York for, uh, for J.P. and then for Wells Fargo was in San Francisco. Nice, okay, so tell me how that went. What was it like? Just, you know, the, the usual stories of, uh, did you have to do a higher view and all that stuff and then? yeah. It was, I think it was the classic, right? Where it's like, you go through the higher view, you know, recycle through like the three, like common questions, tell you about yourself, um, yada, yada, yada. Had a phone screen as kind of like the first official round. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I, at this time, I was also interviewing with some other uh, companies, but for like a sophomore internship, not even for like the junior internship, because they right. kind of like collated at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and so I actually remember being flown out for for another final round for a sophomore internship with a VC fund. Cool. And my flight got delayed in Salt Lake City in Utah. 
So I'd take my phone screen with JP Morgan um, at the airport there. Oh. Uh, that was pretty fun. And we actually had a good laugh about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, besides the phone screen, two phone screens, um, you know, classic mix of technicals, especially with the junior bankers, um, into the final round. Uh, the Wells Fargo final round was pretty, it was pretty, um, it was much simpler than I expected. And it was like actually a really good first final round or first super day to have. Yeah. Um, it was basically three 45 minute interviews back to back. That's it. Okay. Two, two VPs and one MD. And then with JP Morgan, uh, I was expecting the same thing, but instead got like five 45 minute interviews, uh, back to back. And one of my interviews like went a bit too over. So I didn't even get lunch break and just had to like zip on to the next. Oh my God. Those were all five MDs. So a little bit more nerve wracking, a little more intense Were they did the MDs. Um, was it more like good cop, bad cop? Like some of them were trying to be like kind of tough on you and other ones were super nice and that kind of thing. <laughs> I remember, um, I came out of a room and I saw an, I saw a candidate walk out very calmly, uh, and then like cry. And then like wipe away their tears and then move to the next room. Like just determined. It was just like, <laughs> oh, it's like I'm 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 rooting for you, but but also it's like I remember like the Wells Fargo one in contrast was a lot more. How do I put this? Not smooth. That's not the word I'm looking for, but definitely like easier. And if you actually like one one thing I recognize is like looking when I actually entered my interview data into the Wall Street Oasis database, um, which is a huge resource. Um, I remember looking at other Wells Fargo interviews and they all said the same thing. So I was like, oh, it's like, okay. It's a trend. Like, it wasn't just me. Like it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was just like everybody thought yeah. it was easy. Yeah, interview difficulty is much uh higher for uh JP Morgan, I think. Yeah. And and Goldman and like especially Morgan Stanley, I heard. Yeah. So tell me, um, so okay, so you get the internship, you obviously get the offer, you're super excited. Tell me about kind of how you approach coming back to school and um you know, do you get the VC internship as well for this? I did. I did. Nice. Yep. So that's what you ended up doing that summer, which is, which is good. Did, were you worried at all, like doing the VC internship that like the bank wouldn't like it? So that was a really, uh, that was a really momentous summer. Um, before that, I actually got the offer to go to either New York or Hong Kong. Um, because I could speak, I could speak Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, yep. and I'd express interest in cross-border M&A. Yeah, I chose Hong Kong because I'd worked in New York the summer previously and I wanted to see like, oh, like this could be interesting and let's yeah. see where it's here. And I think it's a lot easier to go from Hong Kong to New York than New York to Hong Kong for, for an American like me. Okay. Um, and that summer was pretty momentous uh, on top of work and working 8,100 hours uh, and working not just Hong Kong hours, but also like, um, like San Francisco, New York City and London hours because it was a cross-border team and doing some pretty cool deals. Um, there were also the protests in 2019. Yeah. I like you'd come back from work at 2 a.m. and you'd see the protesters going crazy um, at MTR uh, in the Hong Kong subways. And you would see like tear gas seeping into the subway. So me and my intern friends would like have to bike uh, to where we lived instead. Um, Hong Kong. So JP Morgan's Hong Kong office is located in Central. Um, which is actually where a large portion of the protests took place. Mm -hmm. Central is the finance hub. It's like the hub of like wealth and capital. Right. It also tends to be where most of the politicians, both Hong Kong, but also like Chinese Communist Party's uh, officials tend to sit. Yeah. So that's like the hotspot. Um, yeah. It's funny because all my friends at uh, Morgan and Goldman Sachs in Hong Kong are like on the other side of the bay. They're like in Kowloon side, which is like 
It was a lot more like chill. Yeah, um, they didn't really like more commercial, not as political. You so, were like, in a war zone. Like, You're like <laughs> their war zone is in the office. Ours was in the office, but also in the streets. Oh um, my gosh, that's crazy. But uh, you were like biking to and from your apartment or whatever whenever you got home, which wasn't too often. But that is also true. But um, so I think in terms of like, I think that also added a new element of stress, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh my god, like do I want to work in Hong Kong for the next two years when the economic and political future is uncertain? Yeah. Um, a lot of us actually filed requests to like go to like New York or go to London for me, mostly New York, maybe even San Francisco. Yeah. The West coast. Um, but one, those requests weren't filled. And also two, I also began to quickly realize that in investment banking, um, while I greatly enjoyed the rigor of the work, I actually was more interested in like in the strategy of building a business. And when companies like IPO'd, uh, when they went public, understanding like the fundamentals of like running a business, building a business and growing it, understanding what really drives a business and what makes it tick. Yeah. I realized that that really resonated with me more uh, than simply like term sheets um, or uh, doing most of like financial modeling work, which was still interesting. But to me, I wanted to build up my strategy chops a bit more. Uh, So when I came back, I had a really long talk with some of my close friends and mentors, mm-hmm. um, the ones I coffee chatted with, in fact. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, the consensus I reached, uh, both of them, but also like just kind of soul searching on my own, was that with this experience, uh, it's possible like I could go into like corp dev or corp strat, um, which is always an option. Yeah. But I knew I didn't want to do investment banking uh, full time. Well, yeah, you had a pretty, it sounds like you had a pretty intense summer. It was also a pretty intense summer. Um, at the end of the summer, were they giving you, did they give you a full-time offer or they, yeah. they did? And so you were just like, give me a few weeks to think about it kind of thing. Or what was I that? said that I think around three times um, until they, until like, until an MD called me. Um, and I remember it was like 2 a.m. He's like, what's the deal? Pacific time. But I saw like the, I saw the, um, the number was from Hong Kong and I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> like it's from them. So I had I had to pick up um, and had a very candid chat with her as well. But yeah, yeah, and you just shared that it wasn't for you, and um, and what made you? I mean, that's a tough decision to make at that young age. You know, you're told you're chasing this dream of investment banking, but then you experience it, and you're like, wait a second, do I really want to do this for two years? So what gave you kind of the the strength i assume it was some of the mentors saying like well you can do consulting or or whatnot is it was that the type of conversation around or how did you get comfortable turning down such an incredible offer i think there were that's probably why it took you so many weeks yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. three it took me like see like it was more than three weeks it was like i think five weeks i asked them to extend like a full month uh because usually it's like you accept in two weeks yeah Um, i accepted i asked for a month after that and they they did graciously extend that um but I think really there, there are three things I anchored on. Um, number one was what I professionally wanted to do. Yeah. Two was what I personally wanted for myself in terms of like work-life balance, um, but also like family and like being close to family. Um, and the third one's a bit personal and I'll touch upon that last, but I think that was actually the most important one. Mm-hmm. Um, professionally speaking, like I mentioned earlier, investment banking, you build a great fundamental skill set as it relates to let's say like for cross borders m a um like financial modeling m a modeling um 
But I think to understanding like the actual levers of building a business, advising a business, taking it from point A to point B, um, having aspirations of maybe even like joining like an early stage startup or even building one myself yep. uh, with great co-founders. Investment banking uh, is great for, let's say, like raising money, but not maybe not so much for actually building something. Yeah, and that's yeah. where I want to uh, realign my skill set towards. Yeah. Uh, personally, um, the combination of the hours, uh, what was going on in Hong Kong, and the very low visibility and transparency on what transfer requests could meaningfully look like in one to two years' time also scared me. Um, because I knew I didn't want to return to Hong Kong. I want to at least stay in the United States, yeah. which kind of leads me to my third bucket. Um, during the summer, one of my close friends passed away and I had realized that I had been chasing, I had been chasing what I wanted, but was what I wanted, what I really wanted. And I realized that being close to family, being close to friends, having time for friends and having time for family um, and prioritizing them rather than, than work, especially in a, in a foreign city, in a foreign country, uh, suddenly became much, much more meaningful. And it's sad that it takes a tragedy for us to realize, but sometimes it really does take something to hit you in the face yeah. for you to recognize what's truly important. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, it sounds like you had some good reasons to kind of change gears. And so tell me how you went into senior year. Just started yeah. case interviews, started <laughs> repping. <laughs> I, had to start, crazy? I had to start from scratch. Um, but yeah. you know, even with those good reasons, I still felt torn making decision, which kind of goes back to what you said, um, yeah. where it's like, you could be given what, what you could be, have been chasing for your, your entire two years of college, not a long time, but it means a lot to a lot of folks. Um, Do you so feel like you would, have, you would have done it if you had been in New York, if you hadn't done the Hong Kong thing? Yeah, honestly, like I probably would have taken it if it was in New York. Yeah. Um, and now a part of me was like so grateful that I did go to Hong Kong to see what had happened to have worked there and kind of had everything fall the way it is right now. Yeah. Um, but in terms of senior year recruiting, I had to start from scratch. I figured though, having JP on my resume would be a huge boost. And it was. Um, I think what I tell a lot of folks who reach out to me is it's not that having a brand name is the definitive, like what, like end all be all, mm -hmm. but it does really help. And if you want to reduce risk and optimize your chances of being seen and, and being heard, yeah. Um, as fortunate as it is, like having a blue chip name does raise your visibility. Yeah. Um, so pretty well, just, much it, it increases your conversions to first round interviews, oh, basically. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like you can still bomb it. If you're still bad at the interviews, you can't help, can't yeah. help. But um, yeah, and that's that was exactly the case with me. Um I like had I never cased um up until this point, was like very much into the finance grind set. Um and got a little cocky and thought to myself, okay, like it can't be that hard. Like I'll just um, you know, like I'll I'll slap together like my uh my JP bullet points. Uh, kind of neatly align everything else, make sure it's all spick and span, apply it to like MBB, Deloitte, Accenture, uh, EY Parthenon, LEK, Profit, like, you know, all, all the names yeah. and then see from there. Um, and what's hilarious, what was hilarious is uh, for consulting, I got interviews with pretty much every consulting company I applied to. There were, there were I think, 10 interviews, um, had back-to-back -back interviews, which I would not recommend. Mm. Uh, you get overwhelmed really quickly. Uh, recruiting is definitely a marathon, not a sprint, and you yeah. could burn yourself out. And what's funny is the the companies I had interviews first were the only companies like I proceeded to kind of like super day with and then get the offer. Oh, um, weird. So it's like I had like uh, Accenture and then McKinsey and then like uh, Deloitte 
PWC, EY Parthenon, and then BCG and Bane, like kind of after that at the tail end. Like, you like, <laughs> no, it literally was like, it was like a fire and then the fire fizzles out to an ember until it becomes non-existent. Well, that's, that's odd. I would say usually the reverse happens where you just know, get yeah. the reps. You just get so much better and better as you kind of, yeah. maybe you, maybe you already had the case interview down cold and it was just more like you're just getting tired. So you're yeah. saying you did that many first rounds, like over how many days? I think it was 10 first rounds over two weeks. Or like a week and a half, really. It was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, break, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of deal. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of cases. But yeah, I, and then from there, it's like I got, uh, I had four final rounds. And then of those final rounds, I got offers with Accenture and then McKinsey. But the kicker with McKinsey was that it was in Hong Kong. Uh. <laughs> they actually they actually asked me in the middle, in the middle of the first round, I was like, oh, like, if Hong Kong experience, like, would you be interested in like interviewing with, the, with our Hong Kong team? And I thought if I said no, that would hurt me. And I thought to myself, like, okay, like increase like optionality, make myself like seem flexible. Yeah. No, because then the Hong Kong partners were really excited to talk with me. Oh, no. And that's my it. final round was with Hong Kong specifically. That's a great piece of advice right there for anyone listening. No, that's B, I think B, not, it's not that B greedy, but like focus on, what you want first like do not prioritize what a company wants like focus on you because even if you don't get the company you would have joined a team that did not prioritize you or would not have valued what you want to achieve and what you want to grow into and what you want to develop yeah. as an entry-level analyst um so be greedy be selfish it was probably a lower risk play to say yes just to make sure you got an offer yeah that is also so true. it's not a <laughs> it's oh, like if you if you were fine if you were if you would in that position, if you were fine with going back to Hong Kong and dealing with that, you perfect move. Um, yeah. But if you weren't like me, you should not have. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're getting through these, you get these offers, you say, no, I'm actually going to stay in the US. I'm going to be close to family. Um, so you um, start up with uh, Accenture and tell me about that whole that whole kind of stint there and what happened there in terms of like start, you know, obviously you graduated, everyone's happy. Yay. Yeah. And then the real world hits and you're, you're now a consultant. So tell me what was that like kind of going from school to this and then um, how it evolved for you to kind of leave in, uh, in June and kind of a crazy, crazy time. Well, it was a crazy yeah. time when you joined. So I'd love to just hear about that. It was the double whammy of graduating and then graduating in a pandemic. Uh, so like up to this point, like longest bull market, uh, class of 2019, 2018, like had just like stellar like placement rates, graduation rates, um, like a nice comfortable professional home to find themselves in. And I was really grateful to have found that before the pandemic hit and then yeah. things really went crazy. Um, but a lot of things are robbed from you. And this is advice for any like incoming consultants or anybody who aspires to enter that space um, because a lot of things have changed from what my friends call the golden age of consulting yeah. where travel was expensed, hotels were paid for, free food, the ability to like travel. The work was intense, uh, not as intense as investment banking, but mm -hmm. there's a difference between being able to work with your team and really get to know them and bond with them yeah. and travel uh, versus getting drunk uh, in, your, in your childhood bedroom in a team social, having not seen like sunlight in the past two weeks, grinding on Excel models and PowerPoint decks. It is a very different vibe. Um, yeah. And uh, much more depressing vibe. Much, sure. 
<laughs> it is much more depressing. It, it, I think it was it was fun for the first bit, the novelty. Um, and I was really lucky to have been staffed on some really kick-ass projects. Um, obviously, can't go into too much detail, but in my first six months, got staffed on a go-to-market for a fintech company looking to launch a small business banking product cool. um, for startups. Um, got tapped into an internet company's go-to-market for a new product launch in Indonesia. Uh, I may or may not be working for that company now. And that may or may not have been the way that I networked my way yeah. um, into learning a bit more about, about the team and about the folks who are part of the team. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, two things dawned on me. Number one, remote work sucked. Um, not going to lie. I think remote work is really great um, for working moms and dads, for people uh, with families and children to take care of, with obligations. Uh, but I think when you're young, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. But I think, you know, when you're fresh out of college, the opportunity for mentorship, coaching, for sponsorship, for, for visibility, and really getting to know who you're working with, um, it's a lot more limited. And something I've actually seen uh, from a lot of uh, engagement managers and like principals I've talked with is that it's not that the quality of analysts have dipped. It's just that it is so much harder to train and upskill new talent the way that we used to do. Um, and so for me, uh, some quick realizations. I was not I was not getting the face time and the visibility I wanted. I wasn't learning the skills I really wanted to. I had some really great projects, but from there, there's kind of a big like ceiling in terms of like, what else could you do? Could you work on those projects? Or is it another PE due diligence, which was really popular during COVID-19, but not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, but also like you mentioned, the summer of 2021 uh, was crazy for hiring because you have companies like Google, Apple, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, all the big tech companies, and really all many companies in general just having blowout quarters um, and just ramping up hiring like crazy. And so, of course, the first people that are going to poach are consultants, people who are overworked, really tired, really looking for that nice, famed, fabled work-life balance, but also like a 2x paycheck as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the perfect storm and it was the right time and the right place where uh, the, the Google team that I've been working with, spoiler alert, uh, actually reached out to some consultants across, across the board, uh, letting them know that there's some openings. At the same time, uh, one of my mentors had actually just moved into Google mm -hmm. and was telling me about so many new spots being opened up uh, in the product and strategy and ops org. So I uh, shot my shot, applied, and now I'm here. It's amazing. So um, tell me a little bit about like just the process of, you know, obviously you kind of had in, inside kind of road with your mentor and all that stuff. So getting the interview maybe wasn't that hard, but you know, Google has, is pretty famous for being tough in the interview, um, maybe more on the engineering side, but tell me it was the, the PM strategy type uh, interview tough as well? Like, were they really testing you on like any of your financial modeling stuff or was it all like geared towards strategy and like cases? Yeah, great question. Google has a very quantitative process when it comes to recruiting. And hopefully this insight is helpful for, for you and for any, for any folks uh, listening and tuning into this. What I mean by quantitative is that everything is scored. So your resume, your phone screen with a recruiter, the questions they ask, like literally every single question comes with a score. Um, and so everything is like optimized when it comes to that way. You have to hit a certain threshold to, to be considered for the next interview. What's most interesting is that the folks who interview you actually don't 
decide uh, if you get an offer. That honor is reserved for the hiring committee, which is composed of five to seven senior folks, so directors, even VPs, depending on the level or title of the role you're entering. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the folks that actually look through your hiring packet, all the scores that we just mentioned, and then they make the decision. Um, so the people who interview you don't actually make the call. They just advocate for you. Um, Got it. That's essentially their role. Um, but in terms of the actual, like the contents of the interview, obviously can't speak too much about that. Yeah. But, you know, especially for, for product managers, it's definitely a lot of like, it's very case-based. So it's similar to like consulting cases and stuff like that. Yeah. And I would say the the key here is I think two things that I got from my mentor that really helps me and hopefully it could help you. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, consulting cases um, are very broad and they're not very deep. So they don't, don't test specific expertise. They test your ability to adapt and to essentially abstract generally and solve problems accordingly. Now for a Google or for an Amazon or any specific tech company, their cases will be a lot more focused, a lot more targeted, and it will command a specific degree of comfort with a subject matter. So in consulting, if you get like an oil and gas client, you don't need to know everything about like, oh, where are the geographic hotspots for drilling? You don't need to know like how gasoline is priced per liter or yeah. the unit economics of like running a gas chain or like vertical versus horizontal integration. Yeah. Although for Google, um, if you apply to a specific team, uh, you better you better know what you're talking about when it comes to that team. So if you're applying to Google Cloud, uh, not knowing what the cloud is, you're probably gonna get screwed in the case. Yeah. If you apply to like Google next billion users, that's a really exciting team. Like building products for the next generation of internet users in Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. uh, you better know, you better have a working knowledge of like those markets. So yeah. let's like, if you don't know, like- so where did you apply? Like what groups did you apply to? And how did, I didn't even know you could do that. So like, yeah, yeah. educate us on just that process of like, okay, I wanna apply for, like you said, um, cloud. For example, how yeah. would you even, you know, it sounds like they had openings everywhere. They, they had openings <laughs> everywhere. Um, and for me, I just applied to them all. Actually, can you back up and tell me like the level you're applying to? And let's talk real quick about comps. Essentially, yeah. I assume it was close to six figures, if not, you know, 90-ish 90, oh, yeah. base, but like minimal bonus. So you didn't even stay for the whole year. So um, is that accurate? Yeah. Uh, six figures. Yeah. Six figures. And then um, question, had they bumped it because of all the banks bumping? They did. They did. Um, That's what I thought. I think Accenture's bait. When I joined, it was 90K. Now it's 100K, I believe. Yeah. Okay. And then um, is the base similar as a, a so, so associate product? So associate PM, is that not a full, is that below the PM, like an assistant almost to the main PM? Or what does that mean? I would say less assistant, more the way at Google, the way we frame it is there's L3 for the most part. There's L2s, but mostly like, for, for, you know, for engineering product, et cetera, it's like L3 to L9. Okay. Uh, well, there's L10, but that's Sundar Pichai, the CEO. But uh, L9 is like VP, like you report to like to Sundar. Yeah. Um, L8 is director. L7 is like group um, product manager. It's like a group. Um, it. It's like kind of like a principal in that regard. Yeah. Um, and then from L3, you have associate product manager, L4 product manager, uh, L5 senior product manager, then L6, which is essentially just senior product manager part two, but yes. some folks are called product leads. So if you see a product lead and they're LinkedIn or the description, they're uh, an L6. Got it. Awesome. Okay. So that's helpful. So is this pretty standard if like you only have a year or so of experience out of school to go for the associate PM role? Is that like, 
you know, are they hiring people at undergrad for that? Are they, you know, what's the, what's the kind of range? Yeah. So on one side of the APM program, you have very technical folks honestly act more in an engineering capacity yeah. uh, than one would expect. So those are technical PMs. And then on the other side, you have like, I think what most people would think of as PMs. So kind of more of like an influencer or driver for a product roadmap, speaking with users, um, speaking with other cross-functional stakeholders, especially sales or legal. Um, but yeah, there's kind of like two, two sides of the PM coin. Google typically hires for technical PMs. So most of the positions we see are for technical. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the only way you can differentiate the two is just if the, if the job description asks for technical expertise. Right. Cause you're dealing with more developers in that so. working more with developers. Exactly. Yeah. So are you, um, so you got one of the kind of few PM associate PMs. It's not technical, I assume, cause you didn't have a comp sci background or anything yeah. <laughs> from what I can tell, um, unless you did it on the side. And then, so, um, I guess, you can similarly just keep progressing up through the ranks, even though it's not a technical role, it's still, uh, still not an issue. So what's the, uh, oh, and then I, I forgot to ask you. So you said the pay is better. Is that, um, is the cash comp similar? And it's mostly through options and stuff like that, um, that, that the upside is, is there or, or how does it work? Everything is better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Based I, and, so yeah. when I, when I, so there's also for the, for the uh, program, there's actually, um, there's rotations. So oh, cool. if you, Typically, if you're like a new grad or intern convert into full-time, you're in rotation one. If you're an experienced hire like me, you actually get placed into rotation two. So you get half the rotation, but yeah. your time to promotion is also halved. So okay. I would be promoted uh, this year. That's awesome. So the, uh, the compensation is just, yeah, it's, uh, let's see. They actually, I just got a pay bump too. So I, I could base it off that, but um. The, the base is 135K mm -hmm. and then you get uh, 80K in restricted stock units vested over four years. Mm -hmm. And then you can get anywhere from a 15 to 25% performance bonus um, on your base. 15% is actually a baseline. So that's not even like, yeah. you're terrible. Like, and if you keep this up, you're out of the company. And that's actually yeah. rare at Google too. You could, we have like performance ratings that you could, I've heard stories of folks getting like the worst possible score for like years and never getting fired. So it's like <laughs> job security is pretty, unlike in consulting where you get coached out, um, yeah. like very aggressively sometimes, uh, big tech is like very much the opposite. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those numbers. So Brian, before we call the pod, any kind of final words of wisdom you'd share based on like your winding path? Yeah, I would say I could kind of segment it for folks who are still in college and then folks who are post-grad. Um, for folks in college, I know it seems that you have to get to the next point, point A to point B to point C, to the next golden internship, convert to a full-time offer, get A's, et cetera. Something I wish I had known earlier is living and enjoying life and spending it more intentionally with the people I love, be it friends or be it family. Because work will always be there. Mm -hmm. You work so hard, you grind it out. For God's sake, you're like listening to this podcast and like you're ostensibly what is your free time? So I'm, I can only assume that you are an incredibly hard worker and you are serious about this and you're going to kick ass. Um, but I would say it's oftentimes we forget about the more important things in life. So make space, um, enjoy life because you're going to look back on college as some of the best years of your life. Um, and you do not want to have spent it grinding for, you do not want to remember college as a time when you stressed out about a dumb internship that you probably will forget by the time you're in your 30s and 40s.
Um, for the postgrads, I know it can be really stressful, especially when everybody says that this economy is booming and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a workers' market, uh, but still it's so competitive, and you feel like everybody and their mom is gunning for the same spots. My advice is there's only so much an individual can do. Really lean in on your network and on your community, and if you don't have one, create one. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, WSO also has a really welcome, open, engaged community that helps each other out. So make the most of the resources available to you uh, and reach out to folks like me, to Patrick and anybody else uh, to, again, build your network, learn from us, and hopefully from there, uh, find doorways that open, whether it could be through referral through me or by chatting with other people and learning about entirely new spaces that you've never heard of, teams that are hiring uh, that no one's heard about. Uh, but that'd be my advice for, for those two types of people. Love it, Brian. Thanks so much for taking the time. I think very wise words and uh, hopefully everyone's taking notes. Thank you so much, Patrick. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.